Boldly approach your eternal throne. And we ask you now to speak to us of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And open your Bibles to Psalm 18. Page 545. Did you know that we only have about 36 and a half hours left and then 2007 will be history? It's the time of year when all around the world people are looking back and reflecting on the past 12 months. As Christians, good questions for us to ask at this time of year are, does the Bible give me any advice on how to look back in a godly way? And what lessons has God been trying to teach me in 2007? For our last Sunday together this year, we're going to round off our series, as Andrew said, with a psalm, Psalm 18. Over the last couple of months, we've been looking together at the book of 1 Samuel. We've taken a camera-eye view of David's life. We watched on as spectators as he struck down Goliath and the Philistines. We saw him being promoted to great fame and authority in the army of Israel. We followed him out into the wilderness as Saul pursued him and hunted him down. And last week, 1 Samuel came to its tragic conclusion with Saul and his sons lying dead on the battlefield. Today, we'll see those same events again but this time retold from a different perspective. In Psalm 18, we get a glimpse into the mind of David and as David looks back, we'll see history as told by a man after God's own heart. The Psalm's uh, structure is pretty straightforward title and first three verses uh, is where David declares his love for God and then the rest of the psalm he tells us why he sings to God you rescued me according to my righteousness and you exalted me you rescued me you can see on your handout verses 4 to 19 according to my righteous 20, righteousness is verses 20 to 30 and you exalted me verses 31 to the end it's already sounding a bit strange to our Christian ears. Is David really saying that he thinks he deserves God's rescue because he's been righteous enough? When I first read this psalm, well, that's what it looked like to me. But if so, how do we fit this in with what the rest of the Bible teaches about salvation by grace alone? Well, we'll deal with all that when we get there. But first... We'll start just where David does, with the psalm's title. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Do you notice how David introduced himself? He could have said, a psalm of David, the king of Israel. A psalm of David, conqueror of the Philistines. A psalm of David, slayer of Goliath of Gath. But no, he prefers simply 
a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. And when did David sing this song? Again, it could have been on the day when I won a magnificent battle and pounded my enemies into the dust. But, no. On the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. David is not interested in taking any of the glory for himself. Because for David, as we'll see again and again in this psalm, the joy of his triumph comes in stepping away from the spotlight and letting God take all the glory and praise. In fact, that is why David wrote this psalm. He wants God to get the glory. Because now, when a little Israelite boy comes to his father and says, Dad, sing me a song about great King David and his mighty battles, he's going to get Psalm 18. And Psalm 18 is not about David at all. It's all about God, the God whom David loves. He said, verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. You see, King David was no King Saul. Do you remember what Saul did on the day that he won a great battle against the Amalekites? Did he step out of the spotlight? Did he tell the army to praise God for the deliverance? Not at all. No. He set up a monument to himself. The victory belonged to Saul. The praise belonged to Saul. By his own strength, Saul would live and fight and even die. Saul's strength was his God, but not so King David. If Saul's strength was his God, David's God was his strength. Earlier this year in Malaysia, I learned a new phrase. It's uh, something that the Chinese people tend to say uh, at Chinese New Year. I think it goes something like this. Gong si fa chai. Which supposedly means something like, uh, is that right? Uh, I wish you a, a, a prosperous and happy and successful New Year. Yeah. And on the 1st of January, a couple of days' time, we'll probably hear similar things ourselves. I wish you a happy, successful New Year. In fact, we may well say these things to our friends. People probably said this to us this time last year. And I suspect that for lots of us here today, over 2007, that wish has come true. On the whole, as you look back, it has been a successful and happy year. I definitely say that for myself. Well, if that is you as well, then let's look back on our successes of 2007 the same way that David did, remembering that the Lord is our strength. Let's show God how much we love him by ourselves stepping out of the spotlight, by letting him take all the praise, whether it be in our conversations or our emails or our prayers and thoughts, letting God take the praise. Because every success that we enjoy is an opportunity to thank the Lord, our strength. And so is every trial. Verses 2 and 3. The Lord is my rock, and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved 
from my enemies. David's life was no unbroken string of victories, was it? Far from it. He spent so much time out in the wilderness, simply on the run for his life. Outlawed, exiled, hunted. There was but a step between him and death. But David knows his God. When he looks back and marvels at all those narrow escapes, he knows that his security was never really found in the rocks, the strongholds, the fortresses. It wasn't by his own cleverness that he escapes all, and he certainly doesn't believe in luck. David knows that his true rock, his true fortress, his true stronghold is God himself. And Christians, we believe exactly the same thing. My Jesus, my Saviour, Lord, there is none like you. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. So then, that's our first lesson from this psalm. When you stop and look back on life, remember the Lord, your strength. In 2007, some of us will have met with great triumphs. Others will have gone through great trials. But all of us can praise the Lord our strength, just as David did so many years ago. Well now, David goes on to tell us the story. He begins to tell us how God rescued him from Saul and his enemies. And he does so in a very graphic way, a way that draws us into the story, so that along with him, we too experience the terror and then the joy of the salvation. Verses 4 and 5. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. David here was like a fly caught in the web, entangled in the cords of death, torrents of destruction rushing towards him. But what moment in David's life was he thinking back to? It's hard to be sure exactly. There were just so many desperate situations he found himself in. Just hiding in a cave with Saul and his army coming in for the kill. Trapped in a room as Saul hurled javelins at him to pin him to the wall. Or, or maybe marching out to battle, surrounded by the Philistine hordes, going to attack his own people. David knew many times of desperation. And in those moments, there was only one thing, one thing that he could do. Verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Instantly, God came to the rescue. Verses 7 to 19. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked, because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering. His canopy around him, thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also 
thundered in the heavens and the Most High uttered his voice hailstones and coals of fire and he sent out his arrows and scattered them he flashed forth lightnings and routed them then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke O Lord at the blast of the breath of your nostrils he sent from on high he took me he drew me out of many waters he rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The contrast could not be clearer. David sends up, helpless, one tiny prayer. And down comes the almighty God, moving heaven and earth to save his own. Of course, God didn't really shake the mountains and separate the sea with the blast of his nostrils. It's it's just imagery. But David's put it in for a reason. All this extravagant language focuses again the spotlight very clearly on God. Once again, David wants his listeners to give God all the glory. But more than this, David doesn't just want his listeners to praise God for David's rescue. He wants them to praise him for their own rescue. For what Israelite could read these words and fail to see echoes of the great exodus five centuries before? Five centuries ago, Israel had been in great distress in slavery in the land of Egypt. And in their distress, they cried out to the Lord. And God really did thunder from the heavens. He sent plagues of hailstones, flashes of lightning, He parted the Red Sea and brought them through while striking down the pursuing Egyptian army. And today, what Christian can read these words without being reminded of their own salvation? Remembering how God rescued us. We too were entangled in the cords of Sheol, the web of Satan, powerless to rescue ourselves. Ensnared by our sins, the torrents of destruction rushing towards us. All we could do was cry out to God in our distress. And as we celebrated on Christmas Day, God really did part the heavens and come down to save us. Fully God and fully man, Jesus came into the world to fight against Satan, undo all his work, set the captives free, and finally on the cross, Jesus died for our sins and broke Satan's hold on us forever sometimes Christians get the chance to tell others of this great story it's what we call giving our testimony it's a story of how God rescued us well we can see from these verses that David certainly knows how to give a good testimony all the principles are there it's personal the glory goes to God the listeners are reminded to thank God for their own salvation and as it ends the excitement of the rescue melts away into quiet reflection which brings David to the most wonderful truth of them all verse 19 He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Verse 19 is exactly the sort of thing that God loves to do. 
God brought David from a cave to the throne of Israel. He brought Israel from Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. And God brought us out of slavery too. One day we too will be in our own promised land, looking back on how God rescued us from all our enemies and marvelling at his grace. Again and again in heaven we'll be asking that question, why me? Why did God rescue me? And the answer will be simply, he rescued me because he delighted in me. It's a mystery. God loved sinners. He doesn't love us because we are lovable. He loves because God is love. He rescued me, said David, because he delighted in me. And every Christian in this room can say exactly the same. Well, David has reflected on God's love and now he turns to ponder God's justice. He rescued me, David writes, according to my righteousness. This is 20 to 24. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not wickedly departed from the Lord, my God. For his rules were always before me. And his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Hmm. If you died tonight, and God was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? It's a question I love to ask at Christianity Explore classes because it shows me instantly what people are trusting in for their salvation. Take a moment to think, how would you answer that question? Why should I let you into my heaven? Well, the wrong answer begins like this. God, you should let me into heaven because I, because I'm a good person. Because I go to church and read the Bible. Because I've tried to help people. I've lived a good life. That's why you should let me into heaven. But it won't work. We've already seen that we are powerless to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to to free ourselves from the cords of Sheol. And from our sins. The snares of death. It doesn't matter how good we've been. None of us is good enough for God. So if you started to answer that question, God, you should let me into heaven because I, well, be warned. If you insist that God will judge you on the basis of your character, then he will. But if he finds even one sin, the Bible says you will be condemned forever. It's a terrifying thought. No. The right answer to the question is this. God, you should let me into heaven, but not because of anything I've done, because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus died on the cross for me. Because he took all my sin and all my punishment. Now I'm trusting in him and him alone for salvation. That's why you should let me into heaven. And that works. All through the Bible, 
It's always been the same. Salvation has always been through trust in God and never through works. So now let's, let's travel back in time 3,000 years. Okay? It's week one of Judaism explored. And with me around the table amongst all the Jews is none other than King David himself. Of course, I'll start with uh, introductory time. Everyone can get to know each other. And then, when, when they've uh, found out a bit about their, their comrades, I'll uh, ask the first question. Let's start with you, King David. David, uh, tell me. Uh, King David, nice job, nice job. Tell me, David. Um, Lord forbid, but, uh, supposing tonight in battle you were struck down and killed by the Philistines, why should God let you into heaven? And David answers something like this, verses 20 to 24. Oh, well, I, I tell the Lord to deal with me according to my own righteousness. Um, according to the cleanness of my hands, that's why he should reward me. I have kept the ways of the Lord. I, I have not wickedly departed from the Lord my God. His rules were always before me. And his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, actually. I kept myself from guilt. So that's why. The Lord should reward me according to my own righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. That's why he should let me into heaven. Hmm. Now, I've been here in Malaysia for 18 months, approximately, and I've watched Andrew very carefully. And I've learned that in a group situation like this, if somebody gives completely the wrong answer, what you do is this. So what do all you think? <laughs> well, I imagine, to start with, there will be um, uh, slightly embarrassed silence. People looking down at, at their scrolls, I suppose, um, trying to avoid eye contact. No one quite prepared to correct David. And then, eventually, someone perhaps will speak up. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps it was Nathan sitting over there in the corner. Nathan says, um, <coughs> King David, I agree, yeah entirely that God loves to reward perfect righteousness he does but just, just one question David um, are you sure sure that you're perfect I mean um, you were telling us earlier that you're married yeah I think you said love at first sight if those were your words tell me David uh, if you wouldn't mind how exactly did you first meet Bathsheba and, and while you're at it perhaps you could tell us about your second wife Abigail how did you meet her it's a ridiculous situation, isn't it? There's no way that David is trying to tell all of Israel here that he's perfectly righteous. David knows he's sinned. God knows he's sinned. All Israel knows he's sinned. He's not a righteous man. In fact, there is no one righteous. Not even one. Well, in that case, what is David saying here? Well, the answer comes when we remember that David is not sitting in Judaism explored discussing justification by faith. As my German teacher used to say, context is der König. Uh, context is king. And from the psalm title, we know the context. It was written uh, specifically about the time God rescued him from Saul. David's thinking about his dealings with Saul. And once we remember the context, it all makes perfect sense. Because everyone knows that when Saul was pursuing David through the wilderness... David had two perfect opportunities to strike his enemy dead. And he took neither of them. He could so easily have put Saul to death, but he held himself back because he knew that it is a serious crime 
to oppose God's anointed king. Both in 1 Samuel 24 and chapter 26, he let Saul go. Instead of striking him down, he just cut off a little sliver from his robe. And when Saul found out what had happened, he responded with these words from uh, 1 Samuel 24. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Even King Saul admits that David has acted righteously and deserves to be rewarded for his conduct. And here in Psalm 18, the time has finally come. God has rewarded him according to his righteousness. David's not claiming to always have been perfectly righteous, but he was righteous in his dealings with Saul. And now at last, God has rewarded him by bringing down his enemy. And once again, David takes the opportunity to step out of the spotlight and give the praise to God, praising him this time for his justice. Verses 25 to 30. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. God treats people as they deserve. It's something that he loves to do and something that we should thank him for. Let's have a quick think back to 2007 again. Were there any times in 2007 when people treated you unfairly and didn't get away with it? Any times when when people mistreated you but were eventually brought to justice and shown to be in the wrong? If so, then see behind all these things the hand of God, the God who saves the humble and brings down the haughty. God loves to treat us as we deserve. The thing is, God's timescale is different to ours. If we caught David just one day before he wrote this psalm, he would still have been waiting for God's justice. And even on the day he wrote these words, not far from his mind would have been the story of Jonathan, his best friend, a righteous man who loved David, who loved God. And yet he, along with Saul, was struck down on the battlefield and his body desecrated by the Philistines. We know that God is just, but we don't always see justice in this life. In this life, the righteous aren't always rewarded and the wicked aren't always punished. Maybe for some of us, that's the lesson we've learnt, the hard lesson we've had to learn in 2007. Perhaps your reputation has been dragged through the mud. Work colleagues have slandered you, friendships have been ruined, and no one has been brought to justice. They've all got away with it. Well, if you're feeling that way, remember, God is just. And a day is coming when justice will be done and will be seen to be done. Like David, we may 
have to wait a long time for justice. But like David, we can leave vengeance in the hands of God until that day. All God asks of us is to be patient. And David closes this section as a man who has been patient for a long time and now his wait is at an end. Verse 30. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Summarize the psalm so far then. David says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. You rescued me according to my righteousness. But that's not all. God didn't just lift David out of his troubles and then leave him there. No. God also exalted him. What's this theme of vindication? Growing stronger and stronger as I read out the rest of the psalm. Verses 31 to the end. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness has made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me. My feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them as fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife for the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring, forever. Once upon a time, David had been an obscure shepherd boy in a little town of Bethlehem. But no longer. Since that showdown with Goliath, David, son of Jesse, had been a household name. Day by day, day his fame had grown. He led the armies of Israel out into battle and he brought them back again, always, to the victorious chance Saul has sent his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. No military feat was beyond David and his men. And what's more, he had a celebrity wedding. He married the king's daughter and became part of the royal family. His reputation preceded him even beyond the borders of Israel. He tried once to hide in the Philistine city of Gath. It didn't work. They recognised him as soon as he set foot in the place. In the midst of all that success, how did David stay humble? If there's anyone here today uh, for whom the year 2007 will always be remembered as the year when you shot to international acclaim, well let me know, I'll get your autograph afterwards. But 
more importantly than that, you can learn a lesson here from David. Some people try to beat pride by pretending they're not really that successful. But David's not at all embarrassed about his success. Verse 43, he says, he's the head of the nations. Verse 44, as soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Is David here boasting then in arrogance? Not at all. We've seen again and again that David is filled with love for the Lord. In fact, he loves God so much, there's no room left for pride. For the Lord is his strength, a strength both for rescue and for exaltation. That's why he says in verse 43, You made me the head of the nations. Verse 48, You exalted me above those who rose against me. God had taught him all the rules and skills of warfare. He trained him to bend a bow of bronze. Twice here, David says, that it was God who equipped him with strength for the battle. David, then, is not embarrassed by his success. Instead, he sees in it an opportunity to praise God once again. Verse 35. You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand has supported me, and your gentleness has made me great. But even that is not where the story ends. Because as David looks back at his glorious success, he nonetheless keeps his eyes fixed on the big picture. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God had promised something even greater than this. He'd said that one day a king would come from David's line and his kingdom would last forever. Through this king, David's fame would live on through all generations. In fact, because of this king, well, 50, 60 people have gathered here today 3,000 years later to read this Psalm of David. Verse 50 is true. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. David's greatest glory comes in pointing to Christ. And if we now quickly skim through the psalm, we'll see that every truth affirmed here about David is magnified in great King David's greatest son. The entire psalm is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. According to the psalm, who is David? David introduces himself as the servant of the Lord. But Jesus is the perfect servant of the Lord, the one prophesied in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant who would bear our sins and turn away God's wrath. According to this psalm, what happened to David? You rescued me, said David. And what happened to Jesus? God rescued him as well. God rescued David from the cave. He rescued Jesus from the grave. According to the psalm, why did God rescue David? You rescued me, says David, according to my righteousness. David was blameless in his dealings with Saul. But why did God rescue Jesus? Well, because Jesus was perfectly blameless and righteous always. Jesus can say those words of verse 24, unqualified. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Only Jesus was perfectly obedient. In fact, 
He was obedient even to death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 43, David says, You made me the head of the nations. Jesus says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So, to conclude, let's go back to those questions I asked at the start. As another year draws to a close, does the Bible have any advice for me on how to look back in a godly way? What lessons does God want me to learn from 2007? Well, as we look back, let's follow David's example. He put God in the spotlight. He praised God for his love in every success he enjoyed and, and every crisis that he survived. God also praised God for his justice in rescuing him from his enemies and saving him from Saul. And, before, and behind it all, David never lost sight of the big picture. He looked back to God's mighty rescue from Egypt and forward to the coming of the Messiah. In the same way, we look back to the day God rescued us through Jesus' death on the cross and we look forward to Jesus' second coming. On that final day, we will be in exactly the situation that David is in here. Then we will sing to the Lord who has rescued us from the hands of all our enemies. From heaven we will praise God for saving us from our sin, for giving us perfect righteousness in Christ and for exalting us with him to rule forever. With David and with Jesus, we will praise God for his justice and marvel at the mystery of his love for us. We'll finish with the words in verses 16 to 19. He sent from on high, he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Let's pray. We love you, O Lord, our strength. We praise you for the way you rescued David, the way you rescued Jesus, and the way that you rescued us. And we praise you that you promised to one day exalt us with Christ as well. We thank you for your faithfulness to us over the year 2007. And we know, Father, that your word always proves true. So we pray that you would help us as we head into the new year to always trust you, to always love you, and to show our love for you in whatever triumphs or disasters may come our way. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.